So we've been in this series now for two weeks. Uh, what's this series called? Let me test y'all. The Making of a Leader. Wonderful. There's several people that are, are listening. So the series is called The Making of a Leader. And uh, we've been using the movie The Lion King. Anybody like The Lion King? We've been using the movie The Lion King to really theme all of the messages behind every one of our titles for the message has something to do with, um, with The Lion King. So week one uh, was... Um, Week one was the clip, if you remember the very first of the movie, I'm not going to, actually I did try to do it, but anyway, so week one was the very first of the movie where Simba was raised up, Mufasa had Simba raised up, and he was raised up because they were celebrating his birth. And so that week we talked about how when we are born into the family of Christ, when we're born again as a believer in Jesus Christ, what God does is he raises us up in honor, celebrating our birth, and he's, he's honoring us and creating a leader out of us. How many of y'all believe that? And so that's what we talked about week one. Week two was the clip where Mufasa takes Simba and he showed him, um, he showed him all of the kingdom. And he said, you know, everywhere that the light touches is our kingdom and one day you're going to lead. And so what Mufasa does is he begins to train Simba, because leaders aren't just born, they're also created, and so Mufasa begins to train Simba, and so last week what I did was I became Mufasa in this scenario, and I gave you some training tips. How many of y'all remember? Tra leadership training, and so we went through, there was four pieces. Number one was leaders humble themselves. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> leaders humble themselves. Amen. Number two was leaders do what's right. Not what's popular. Number three, leaders grow. And then number four, we must become less and less. And Christ must become more and more. Let me just say, if you missed either one of those messages and you want to jump back and catch up, you can see those just about anywhere. There's a YouTube channel. There's an app. There's a website. You can check out those messages on any of those things. Go back and look at them. So in the movie where we're at right now, Mufasa gets lifted up. I mean, Simba gets lifted up in honor. Boom. He's created to be a leader. Then it was the leader within you where we walk through uh, Mufasa beginning to train him. And then the next part of the movie is like the worst part of the movie. That's where Scar comes. Uncle, Uncle Scar, uh, Mufasa's brother, comes and he kills Mufasa. Okay. Not only does he kill Mufasa, which is the king, which is the leader. The leader's taken out. Boom. But then what he does is he goes to Simba, who's supposed to be the future king. He's still a cub. He's a small, small lion. He goes to him and he says, the reason that your dad is dead is because of you. It's on you. Anybody ever been discouraged? No? So he goes to him and he says, the reason that your dad is dead is because it's on you. So what you need to do is run away and never return. And so Simba's like, oh, snap. It's my fault he's dead. i got to get out of here. So he takes off and these hyenas chase him and Scar thinks that he's dead and he, he gets out of here and he runs into this desert, okay? So he gets out in this desert. Y'all think about where he's got to be. He's like a cub. He's thinking that he's the reason that his dad just died. He's supposed to be the king. He can no longer be the king anymore. He now doesn't have a family. He's out in this desert and he just lays down and decides, I guess it is the end. I'm just going to lay down here and be done. And these buzzards come around. Anybody ever been there? You just want to lay down and die? I've been there before. Yeah, some of y'all. There's a few honest people in here. And then everybody else, is they want to hide that. That's okay. And so, uh, so he lays down, and these buzzards come around him. And they begin to try to eat Simba. And as the buzzards come around him, it's the best part of the whole movie. You get introduced to Timon and Pumbaa. 
Okay? So Timon and Pumbaa bust the buzzards out everywhere. They figure out that Simba is alive, and they're like, oh, snap, we can have a lion on our side. You know, we'll be at the top of the food chain. And so now we're moving into the clip for today. Go ahead. All right. So if you're taking notes, the title to the message, you can write two things, either number one, Akuna Matata, or number two, you can write Defeating Discouragement. And you may sit there and you may be thinking, okay, we're in a leadership series and you're going to preach a message on defeating discouragement. Uh, what does that really have to do with leadership? To which I would reply, it has everything to do with leadership. You know, a long time ago, there was a rumor, I'm going to tell you a story, there's a rumor that the devil decided he was going to go out of business, okay? And so he's going to sell all of his stuff, highest bidder, gets everything that he has. And so one day he decides to open up shop and let everyone come in and just uh, bid for all of the different things. You got fear, you got jealousy, deceit, hate, and many more things. Somewhere in this dark corner was this uh, was this, this, this thing, and it looked old, and like it had been used for all eternity, and so everybody's looking over here at all these things, and they come over, and they look at this thing, and this thing looks like the most used, like you don't want to buy that thing. You ever been to a garage sale, and you saw that, like, ooh, that is the thing that you don't want to buy, yet it had the highest price on it, and so everybody's looking at it, like, what in the world? Nobody's going to buy that, and so, so finally somebody pipes up, and they say, hey, Satan, what is this thing over here? And he comes over and he says, that thing right there is called discouragement. It's the most expensive tool that I have because it's the one that I use the most. When nothing else works, I can enter into somebody's mind slowly and they don't even know that I'm entering. And if I can get them discouraged, I can pretty much do what I want. And here's the trick, he said. Very few people know that this tool belongs to me. Because when they get discouraged and they lose hope, they blame themselves they blame the world around them. They blame everyone else but me, laughed the devil. People hit obstacles in life. They encounter problems. And when people get discouraged and they get to this place where they don't feel like they can have any hope at all, that is me using that tool to its very best ability. What a powerful thought. Church, the enemy, our enemy loves to discourage us. And he especially loves to discourage leaders. Because if Satan can discourage leaders, what he can do is he can have everyone that's following behind them get discouraged. If he can make a leader fail, he can make a whole group of people discouraged. And so what we have to do is we have to learn to fight discouragement. Today, if you're taking notes, standing up and defeating discouragement, that's what we're going to talk about using the story of Nehemiah. Now, if you remember two weeks ago when I introduced this series, I talked about Nehemiah, the ordinary guy that was a cupbearer that God used to do some spectacular and amazing things. Y'all remember that? And so this ordinary guy, Nehemiah, we're going to dive into this story. If you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 4, and I'm going to kind of get you to where we're at. So Nehemiah goes to the king, if you remember in week one, Nehemiah goes to the king. The king sends him to go rebuild the walls. He's got this burden inside of him. Remember we talked about God gives you a burden and he'll turn it into your ministry. He's got this burden inside of him to see the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt and the, 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 the people of Israel come back from where they were. They were in humiliation and he wanted to bring them back to honor. And so God opens up this door for him to go and him to re begin to rebuild the walls. So he, he goes to Jerusalem and he leads the people. They start. He organizes this incredible workforce. And he gets them excited, and he gets them stirred up 
Think about this. For like 120 years, the walls have been torn down. It's been desecrated. They've been humiliated. Anyone can come in and defeat them. And he comes in with this dream and this vision of getting us back to being a great nation again. And it builds up excitement in the people of God. And they begin to build. The Bible says that they begin to, he, he forms all of these work groups and they begin to build on the walls. And what happens when you begin to do something great? Satan comes against it. And that's what we see happen. The, the Samaritans and the Ammonites and the surrounding nations begin to get angry because they did not want to see Israel become a great nation again. So they begin to come to the people and discourage them and make fun of the building and challenge Nehemiah's leadership. And the people begin to get discouraged. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. Let's read our first section of verses, verse 7 through verse 14. It says, But when Samballot and Tobiah and Arabs, Ammonites and Ashadites, heard that the work was going on ahead, the gaps in the walls of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. And they all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Verse 10. The people of Judah begin to complain. The workers were getting tired. There's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy camp told us again and again, they will come in all directions and attack us. So I placed, not Nehemiah, armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords and spears and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of all the people and I said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great. And glorious and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. He's got that brave heart moment, y'all. Freedom! Yeah. Nehemiah jumps up and he says, whoa, 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 you guys are getting discouraged. You guys are getting your minds in the wrong place. What are you doing? We're doing what God has called us to be. We're doing what God has told us to do. You remember who we serve. Because he is great and glorious. Let's stop here, and I want to move into point number one. If you're taking notes, you want to live the Akuna Matata lifestyle, defeat discouragement in your life, number one, remember who you are. Remember your calling. Remember what God brought you out of and what he brought you into. Everybody say, remember. Listen, I have a clip real quick from the movie that I want to, I want to show to start this point out. Listen, there is so much power in going back and remembering who you are in God. Remembering the calling that he's given you. Remember who God is and what he's done in your life. In verse 14, this is what Nehemiah says. Then I looked at the situation. What is he saying? I looked at what's going on with the people. I looked and saw that discouragement was getting to them. I looked and saw that they were getting to a place again of hopelessness. And I called together the nobles and the rest of the people. And I said, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord. Remember what he's called us to do. Remember we're going to be a great nation again. Remember who we used to be. Remember who you are. The Israelites got caught up in how hopeless and difficult things looked. And they've given in to discouragement. But Nehemiah told them, take your eyes off of your discouragement and put your eyes on the one who can do anything. 
As followers of Christ, as believers and leaders, the first thing that we must do when faced with doubt and discouragement and feelings of giving up is to remember what God's done with us. Amen. To remember that he saved us. To remember what we were before him. Amen. My calling is the reason that I do what I do. Amen? My calling to be a good husband and a good father. My calling to reach the lost. My calling to shepherd the people that God allows me to lead. And Satan does not like my calling. And so because he doesn't like my calling, he's going to watch everything that I do. And he's going to use anything and everything and everyone that he can to come against me and discourage me from focusing on what he's called me to do. And what I have to do is remember my calling, not forget it. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, I'm certain that the God, that God who began the work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ comes. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. This is going to be a part of our altar call this morning. I want to challenge you to put on paper who you are. Put on paper what your calling is. Put on paper so that when Satan comes against you, if you remember a few years ago, I preached a series called Mind Games. Y'all remember the series Mind Games? And I talked about daily declarations and how there's so much power in your words. And you can build, if you will do it daily, then you can build these pathways of encouragement inside of you. So every single day, every day, you say you do that every day. I do it every day. I'm going to read it to you too. I done read it to you probably three times. I'll read it to you again because I want you to understand how powerful this is. Remember who you are. Here's who I am. Josh Pope. Jesus Christ is all that matters in my life. I exist to serve and worship and glorify him. I love my wife. Sometimes there's days where you got to speak that. (laughs) Amen. Anybody ever been there? So you get up and you speak it. I love my wife and I will lay down my life to serve her. I'm a great father. Satan tries to trip me up on that one. My kids will know God. They will love God. They will serve God with their whole lives. I love people. (laughs) And I believe the best about others. Because of Christ, my life has purpose. My family is closer. My body is stronger. My faith is deeper. My leadership is sharper. I am creative and driven and focused and blessed beyond measure because of the spirit of God that dwells within me. I serve others and I develop leaders. That's not something that I do. That is who I am. I capture my thoughts. I put this one in about six weeks ago because my thoughts were going crazy. I capture my thoughts and I teach my thoughts to be obedient to truth. I bring my best and then some. The world will be different and better because I serve Jesus today. I will turn this world upside down for my Savior. That is who I am. That's what God has called me to do. And let me tell you something. Satan does not like that. So what he does is he tries to get my focus off of this, which is why I got to read it every day. He tries to get my focus off of this. And if he can get my focus off of this, then he can discourage me. He can make me feel like a failure. He can make me feel like I'm not a good dad. He can get all in my mind if I allow him to remember who you are. What's on that sheet is what God's called me to do. It's who I am, and I remember it every single day. Even when I'm getting hit by the devil in all kind of ways, that 
that reading that and remembering that is what builds me and encourages me and gets me out of that pit of discouragement. Let's jump forward in the story. Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to move to the next verse. Verse 15. It says, When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to work on the wall. Verse 16. But from then on, only half of my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears and shields and bows and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. <laughs> That's awesome. All the builders had a sword belted to the side, and the trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Here we go. We're moving on to point number two. Number one was remember who you are. Number two is this. Be on guard. Let me ask you a question. Who brings on discouragement? Satan. And what does the Bible say about Satan? Here's what the Bible says about Satan. 1 Peter 5.8. Stay alert. Watch out for that great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a lion, like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Let me be honest with you. If you are not staying alert, if you are not guarding yourself, if you are not watching out for discouragement, then before you even realize it, he will be in your mind and in your heart, and you will be down in the depths of despair and not even understand how you got there. Everybody say, be on guard. You know, probably the biggest example of this is a man, a prophet by the name of Elijah. You remember the story of Elijah? I'm going to be honest, it blows my mind. 1 Kings chapter 18. Let me explain chapter 18 to you real quick. In 1 Kings chapter 18, it's like, it's one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible, if you're being honest. So what happens? He goes before, this is one prophet, okay? This being, he's one of the most anointed men of God ever. One prophet that goes before King Ahab. And all of the people of Israel and all of the prophets of Baal. There's 450 prophets of Baal. So we got a 450 to 1 ratio here. Okay? And most of the people of Israel are with the people of Baal. So Elijah comes. And he has got his, God is using him. And he has anointed him. And he says, hey boys, if you think your God is so big, why don't you go get a bull and cut it up. And let's see, if you, let's see which one of our gods our God shows up. Okay, so he gets this bull, and then he starts taunting them. He humiliates them. He says, man, I guess, I guess, oh, you know, your God, I guess he done went to the bathroom. We're going to have to wait for him to come back. And he does all this, like, taunting them. And then it was his turn. And he jumps up, and God shows out, and Elijah calls down fire from heaven and explodes this sacrifice that's got water dumped all over it, and he even burns up all the water. Why? Because God likes to show off. Who he is. And so not, that is just a small piece of the chapter. So then Ahab and all the people of Israel are like, oh, snap, that's the real God. And so Elijah's like, grab the prophets of Baal and bring them over here. And they kill all of the prophets of Baal. Okay? They begin to worship the real God. That's where Israel's at. Now the next piece of chapter 19, Elijah runs over and he begins to pray for rain. Because they have not seen rain. And as he's praying for rain, he sees this little, this little, you know, thunderstorm begin to form. And he runs over to Ahab and he says, hey, king, 
hey, bro, I need you to jump in your chariot and I need you to go. Because in just a short amount of time, this storm is coming and I'd like for you to beat it back to the, to the kingdom. So you jump in the chariot and you go. And he goes back and he looks at this thunderstorm that's forming and he takes his robe. And the Bible says he tucks his robe into his belt and he takes off running. And the Bible says that he runs right on past King Ahab in the chariot. And he runs faster than the chariot all the way back to Jerusalem. And then chapter 18 is over. Okay. So he just called down fire from heaven. Boom. They killed all of the prophets of Baal. He prayed and God is sending a thunderstorm. And the Bible says that God gave him this strength. And boom. He became the fastest man in the world. And he outran the chariot. And they get home. And Ahab runs up. Verse 1. Remember, that was the end of chapter 18. Verse 1. Ahab tells Jezebel. Hey, Jezebel, let me tell you what just happened in chapter 18. What happened was Elijah called down fire from heaven. We killed the prophets of Baal and everyone served God. And we found out that God was real. And then he called for rain and rain begins to come. And then as we was coming home, that dude flew right past me. That was verse 1. Verse 2. Look at this. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Verse 3. Okay. There's only been two verses since the dude just had a mad dash back to Jerusalem. Verse 3. Elijah was so afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Can I be honest with you? When I read that, my mouth drops. Dude, are you kidding me, bro? Yesterday, you called down fire from heaven. We killed the prophets of Baal. The whole kingdom came back to God. You prayed for rain, and then you took it. Do you remember what happened yesterday? And today, you're going to be a chicken because of some evil woman? Now, why did I just go through all of that? Because that's how good Satan is. He can take a man who's on the top of the top of the top and come against him because he knows how to come against him and discourage him in a way, such a way, that he wants to die. Wow. Now, before I judge Elijah, I better take a look at myself because I can name times when God has used me and done incredible things, and the very next day, boom. I find myself sitting at home crying for whatever reason. I just not even know why. Why? Because Satan is so good at using discouragement. He's so good at coming into people and, and getting them discouraged. Now let's go back to the story of Nehemiah. He, on the other hand, was very smart. Nehemiah sent half of his men to stand guard and defend against the enemy. You know what I learned from that? Here's what I learned from that. Sometimes we need to stop spending half of our time allowing, wallowing around and feeling sorry for ourselves. 
And instead, we need to spend that half of our time standing firm and keeping guard against discouragement. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 talks about capturing your thoughts and teaching your thoughts to obey Christ. I want to challenge you to make that a practical habit. How do you do that? I do it. I put it in my thing. I capture my thoughts. But every single time Satan tries to hit me with a thought of discouragement, I speak that scripture. Capture your thoughts and teach your thoughts to become. Is that true? No, that ain't true. That's Satan. Satan, you stupid. I don't believe you. Seriously, you can do that. The Bible says that you can do that. You can do that. There's power in the word of God. That is the word of God. And you can do that. So practically, what does that look like? Every single time he tries to hit you, catch that. When you begin to think that you're not a good father, when you begin to think that you're not a good husband, when you're you're not capable of doing what God has called you to do, that is not God. That is a lie. So we capture those thoughts and we teach our thoughts to be obedient to the word of God, to Christ. So we have, number one, remember who you are. Number two, be on guard. Let's look at the next set of verses. Nehemiah chapter four, verses 19 and 20. It says, then I explained to the nobles and the officials and all the people, the work is very spread out. And we're widely separated from each other along the wall. So when you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding, and then our God will fight for us. (laughs) There's some cool stuff there, y'all. Notice this point. Here's the point. Follow the call. And let God fight. Follow the call and let God fight. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. You know what he says? He says, when you hear the trumpet blow, I want the warriors run over to where the trumpet's blowing. Myself, I would have thought, run over to where the trumpet's blowing. Get outside of that wall and fight. But he says, run over to where the trumpet's blowing and allow God to fight. Y'all, there's so much there to take in. So point number two, two parts. When they heard the call of the trumpet, they ran to it, and God did the fighting for them. To avoid and fight discouragement, we follow his call, and we let him do the fighting. Can, Can I be honest? When we fight with our power, we get discouraged. I don't care how big you think you are. You ain't as powerful as God. And when we fight with our power, we get discouraged. But when we allow God to have the fight, he has victory every time. God don't get whooped, y'all. It doesn't happen. But I'm not going to lie. This is hard to do. Because I sometimes like to fight. It's hard to do. What's hard to do? It's not hard to follow the call of the trumpet. It's hard to stop and give the reins to God. Amen? As a leader, listen to me. I want to encourage you with something. As a leader, when you go into the fight instead of allowing God to fight, then you're not only putting yourself at risk, you're putting your family at risk. Think about this. You're putting your job at risk. You're putting any person that's following you that you are leading at risk if you're fighting instead of allowing God to fight. 
Practically, what does that look like? When you stand up and fight for something that God has given you a burden for, when I fight for my family, when I fight for my community, when I fight for the flag, when I fight for the school, when I fight for the church, when I fight for my ministry, when I fight for the nation, but I don't fight the right way, then I'm putting everyone at risk. Wow. So many times I've done that. I've allowed my flesh to come out instead of the Spirit of God to come out, and everyone that's following me is at risk. Think about that, moms, dads, business owners, teachers, pastors. Think about that. When you fight on your own, you're putting everyone at, at risk. What if Nehemiah had not listened to God? When you hear the trumpet blow, run over to where the enemy's attacking and let God take on the fight. What if instead of doing that, he said, if you hear the trumpet blow, run over and I'll grab my sword and you grab your swords and I'll lead you into the fight. What would have happened? They'd have lost a lot more people if they weren't being led by God. Amen. Nehemiah himself might have gotten taken out, even though that's the noble thing to do. If it's not the godly thing to do, it's the wrong thing to do. Here's what Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31 says. It's a hard one, y'all. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And then I always end that with, teach me, Lord, teach me, Lord, <laughs> to wait. As leaders, y'all, we can get so, so discouraged because we accept the call to lead because God's called all of us to lead. But then instead of allowing him to fight, we try to carry the whole load on ourselves. You try to carry the load of your family, your kids, your ministry, your job the church you try to carry that load on yourself and you're going to get discouraged but when you allow God to do the fighting and God to carry the load the, the scripture I didn't even understand what this meant until I was in your prison class and you taught that class on the yoke of God of the yoke of God and it's you bring my burden your burdens to me and, and I'll I'll put my yoke upon you. I didn't even know that a yoke was with the cattle and, and the, all that the elderly cattle taught the younger cattle how to move it. I thought it was just like, you know, he takes your burdens off. But that that whole that whole you allowing God to be yoked to you so that he could lead and guide and carry the load. Snap, y'all. There is so much, that revolutionized my thinking because that's what he's telling us to do. You don't have to carry your burdens. I'm the more mature one. I know what's going on. I know the way. I know where we're supposed to plow. Let me hold on to you and I'll pull you and I'll show you the way. But we get discouraged because we try to treat God like the younger one. Like, God, I got this. If I, if I mess up, then you can maybe help me out in the mess up. But for right now, I've got this. And we try to drag and carry the load on our own. Wow. They that wait on the Lord. So my challenge on this point is to passionately follow the call that he's given you and the burden that he's laid on your heart. When you hear the trumpet blow... 
and it's time to go. You run and you go to the fight. But then you wait and you listen in how to fight or what he needs to do to fight. Don't jump in there and be fleshly because then you're going to lead everyone astray. If you do that, you will make less mistakes as a leader. You will protect yourself and your people and you will be strengthened and encouraged by God because he's carrying the weight instead of you. All right, let's move to the next section of scripture. Nehemiah chapter four, verses 21 through 23. It says, we worked early and late from sunrise to sunset. Anybody ever been there? And half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way their servants could help them guard with guard duty at night, at night and work during the day. Verse 23, I'm going to read better this time. During this time, none of us, everybody say not one. Not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. They, they, they got ready for battle before the battle ever even came. They weaponed up before the battle even came. Number four in your notes is this. <laughs> Sometimes when you're discouraged, you need to hear this. Keep on keeping on. I have a question for you. I want you to think about it. Why does the enemy discourage us? He wants us to quit. He wants us to surrender. He wants us to give up. He wants us to give in to temptation. He literally will do whatever it takes to see you fall and give up. He'll try to discourage you through the people that are closest to you. He'll try to discourage you through you're losing your job. He'll try to discourage you through your own thoughts, which is probably the worst of all. Telling you that you're not enough or telling you these lies. He'll try to discourage you with anything and anyone that he sees that he can use to bring you down. But what you need to know is that you need to keep on keeping on. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13 says, Therefore put on every piece of God's armor. So that you will be able to resist the enemy, just like they did. But this is a spiritual one. In the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Amen. Armor up. Did you get that last part? If you armor up, if you carry your weapons, if you defend yourselves, if when he comes at you, you're ready to defend against discouragement and anything that he has to throw at you. If you have yourself ready, then when he comes at you, you will still be standing. I'm still standing. Thank you, sir. Discouragement has come and tried to rip you to shreds. Somebody say, keep standing. The enemy has whispered lies into my ears as a leader. Somebody say, keep standing. Life is chaotic and it's hard and there's viruses and all kind of junk coming at you. Somebody say, keep standing. You made mistakes. You did stupid. Keep standing. Hakuna Matata. Defeating discouragement, having no worries. I'm going to close with one more verse. It's my favorite verse when it comes to worry because it's hard not to worry. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 34. It says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all that you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Amen. Now the ending. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles is enough for today. So when Satan comes against us, he tries to get us with worry. He tries to get us with discouragement. He tries to come against us. What do we do? Number one, we remember who we are. There's so much power in that. Number two, we be on guard. Number three, we follow the call and let God fight. And number four, we keep on keeping on. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to ask our worship team to come and begin to play and lead us in a song. And as they're coming, I want to ask our altar team to come. Would you guys come? And just begin to start praying. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to talk to you as we close this thing out. I believe this morning that God's already been ripping chains of discouragement off of people. And I'm so thankful that he is. But I also believe this morning that these altars should be full. The last six months have been some of the most discouraging months that we've had in our history of us being alive. And I believe that people have allowed discouragement to come in and that it needs to be broken off. And you need to allow God to do some ministry to you and some healing. And he'll take off that discouragement and those worries and those burdens. And he'll put place on you a mantle of joy and happiness and strength. I believe that with all my heart, but it's completely up to you. If you're here this morning and you've been discouraged and you want prayer to come out of that discouragement or you want prayer for God to allow you to stay encouraged, or if you're here this morning and maybe you're not in the right relationship with God and you're not serving Him and you haven't made Him the Savior of your life, the Bible says that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and to shed His blood so that we could have salvation. And if you are not walking in that salvation this morning, now is the time to get your life right with Him. Now is the time to allow that discouragement and that weary and that hopelessness to be gone and to carry His yoke. Right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you need to be prayed over, if you're here and you just want to receive from the Lord this morning, if you're here and you know that you need to be at the altar, whether that's allowing somebody to pray for you or getting alone with yourself, Every head bowed and every head closed. I want to open up the altars right now. Come on. Step out and come right now. We're going to sing this song, and you step out and come. Yes. Anybody else? Come on, right now.